stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. What we're showing Canadians is that the ability to balance, it's going to allow us to keep investing in Canadians, and it's also going to allow us to keep reducing that debt as a function of our GDP. That was uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau today. Uh, was it uh, his caucus making noise behind him? I'm not sure. 403-974-8255 is our number. Uh, so the Liberals are patting themselves on the back, not just for the fact that the economy is growing, which, look, it is. We can concede that fact. Uh, but also for the fact that uh, the deficit is uh, coming in, it's smaller than the last budget uh, forecasted. And I suppose that is encouraging. However, if we go back two years to when the Liberals uh, won the election and formed government, uh, they came into office with more or less a balanced budget. They came into office making promises that they would run modest deficits for a couple of years to allow them to do some things that they felt needed to be done, to give them that flexibility to do it. Now, obviously, we've gone well past these promised modest deficits. Is it a result of of circumstance? Has this situation been thrust upon the liberals? Have they suddenly found themselves, uh, like you could argue the Alberta government did, uh, with a huge shortfall in revenue? Or have they made a conscious decision to go well beyond what it was they had promised? And if so, do they deserve any credit uh, for the numbers we saw yesterday. Well, joining us for some thoughts, uh, very pleased to welcome to the program, Andrew Coyne, uh, columnist for the National Post, Post Media. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Okay, so on this question of, of why we're, we're at the point we, where we are in terms of the size of these deficits, what, what has transpired then over the last two years? Well, it's true that we had um, something of a fall off in revenues. Uh, we didn't go into a recession, but we had a slowing of the economy um, in 2015. So that the the numbers that were in the last conservative budget, 2015, that they all ran, of course, by the way, all the, all the parties ran on it during the election. They all kind of pretended that they were still current. But it was clear even then that they were going to be slightly out of whack. And it's true that there was a falling off of revenues for about a year. Um, but they've since come roaring back. And what's interesting is that they're now back essentially on the track that the Harper, the last Harper budget laid out for them. So really we're back to where we, where we started in 2015 in terms of revenues. And yet the, that last Harper budget projected small surpluses. And here we are with deficits still in the $20 billion range, which as you mentioned is uh, less than they were previously projecting more than they were, than they had promised, but it's way more than the Harper government laid out, even though the revenues are the same. So, the logic is pretty clear. The difference has been made up by about $20 billion more in spending. Okay, so you know, something else the minister talked about today, Andrew, and we've talked about it before, is this idea of uh, you know deficits as a percentage of GDP. And that gives you a good idea, I guess, of, of where things are at. It is a relevant statistic, and certainly they're, they're citing it here today. So how concerning are these deficits? Well, that's, the, that's a very good question because people are inclined to sort of binary responses in that. Either they say, oh, it's no problem at all, we shouldn't worry about it, this is just a fixation of the right wing, or people go, oh, we're going to hell in a handbasket, uh, it's just like back in the 80s and 90s. And, of course, it's neither of those. It's, it's uh, as you mentioned, as a percentage of GDP, it's now less than 1%. When we were in trouble back in the 80s and 90s, it was routinely over 5 or 6% of GDP. So that's what that's that's truly bad. This is troubling, and it's troubling because 
we're still running deficits, even if they're small, we're still running them at the height of the business cycle. We, we haven't had a real recession in this country for 10 years, almost 10 years. Um, and at this stage of the business cycle, you should really be running surpluses. Uh, you know, whether, unless you're in a recession or a war, there's really not a lot, large argument why you need to put stuff on the credit card, especially for things like current consumption. And two of the big ticket items in this update, while I think they're very praiseworthy, um, are, are pretty clearly consumption items. They're not in infrastructure. They're not things that are building up the, the productive potential of the economy. They're helping out people on low income and helping people, the, the working poor. So um, we, we shouldn't be borrowing at all, frankly, for that. It doesn't mean we're going to, as I say, it doesn't mean we're going to go bankrupt. The, the debt-to-GDP ratio is actually falling. Uh, but what it does is the longer you do it, the more exposed you are if, if things suddenly go south, if we get into a recession, whatever. And, and this is the time when we should, as I say, be actually drawing down our debt. Right, because is it, would it be possible then to, to have done what the liberals say needed to be done in terms of what they're spending money on uh, and still have uh, a smaller deficit, still have a, a game plan for balancing the budget? Absolutely, and that's the thing. Is that it, it, it's a great way for them to frame it, and I'm sure we'll see more of this, that this is a choice between either helping out the poor or balancing the budget. Uh, well, you know, this is a this where the federal government now spends over three hundred billion dollars a year. Uh, you know, only a tiny fraction of that is represented by this the, the increase for uh, for the, the child benefit and for the working income tax benefit. Um, to put it another way, they've increased spending in the last three years by fifty billion dollars. Uh, if they'd only increased it by let's let's say you know thirty billion dollars, we wouldn't be having any we wouldn't be a deficit at all. So uh, surely somewhere within that $300 billion, there's some misplaced spending. And those of us who've gone through the numbers from time to time, there's lots of things that the federal government just frankly shouldn't be spending money on. And, of course, the one item that comes to mind is corporate welfare, like the money that we keep giving to, to Bombardier. So um, it's not an either-or. It's a matter of making choices. And what I would say is, I, you know, there's no magic to balancing the budget in every calendar year. But, you know, calendar year is an artificial construct, you might say. Uh, but what it does do is it concentrates the mind. When you have to actually make choices because you've got to live within a budget constraint, then you look at all those choices a lot more carefully, and you're much more you're going to be much more critical and careful about saying, should this re- is this really something we should be spending money on at all? Whereas when you release yourself from that constraint, um, then you don't have to make choices. You, you, you can just have everything, and it, it inclines governments, I think, to be much less uh, stringent and careful about how they're spending the public's money. Right. Now, this would still count as, as a broken promise in your mind, would it not, though? Oh, very much. I mean, they, they, they ran on a platform of we're going to run very small deficits. Now, these are small deficits even so, but, but they were going to be very small. They didn't want to scare people. So the deficit is going to be less than $10 billion uh, for two years, and then they balance it after four years. Well, they haven't met those standards. That's, that's very clear. And in my, in my mind, that is mostly discretionary. They could have... We would have probably run a small deficit, no matter who was in power, in that first year because of that fall off in revenues. But it didn't need to be as big as it was, and they don't need to be as big as they're continuing to be. So uh, that was very much a discretionary choice on their part. And it's, it's uh, as with several other of their promises, it's pretty clearly a broken promise. The one that they do seem to be uh, least promising to keep, if you still trust their promises, is that they'll keep the, uh, the debt-to-GDP ratio falling. Um, and... And that's not nothing. It is important. You know, all these things are gray areas. There's no kind of cut and fast, cut and dried rule. Uh, 
but it is a good sign if we're keeping the the um, the debt to GDP ratio falling. It just should be falling a bit more, in my opinion, to give us more breathing room, more 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 margin for error in case things go bad. And there's lots of reasons to be worried about where we're going in the economy. We've had a nice run in the last year, kind of rebounding, for example, on some of the commodity prices. Um, but we've got the worries about NAFTA hanging over us. We've got uh, accumulated impact of tax increases, at least arguably people will say that's that doesn't bode well for uh, for the future growth of the economy. There's lots of reasons why you might you know, just want to be a bit more cautious, and particularly the fact that we just, you know, sooner or later, you're bound to have a recession. We haven't abolished recessions, uh, and it's been a long time. Right. Well, and, and that it almost becomes where, regardless of the economic conditions, you can make an argument for deficits, that uh, the times are great, we've got this flexibility. Times are bad, we need to spend. When, when is there ever a case to be made well, for, for balancing the budget? And if times are in the middle, then, you know, you don't want to risk, you don't want to risk it, you know, you right. want to stay the course. Uh, that is the, that, that's that's absolutely right. That 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 uh, you you wind up rationalizing more spending under any circumstances. And I come back to this point: is it's not so much the overall level of spending, although that's important. But it, the overall level of spending is made up of a bunch of individual spending choices. And the reason why I say that is, you know, conservatives, small c, large c conservatives on this issue have tended over the years to place a great deal of of weight and emphasis on the deficit. We can't spend it on X or Y because of the deficit, because we can't afford it. And, of course, the danger in that argument is as soon as you don't have a deficit or the deficit is smaller, you know, the, the, the danger is passed, as it were, then you're, you've kind of used up your bullets in terms of what your arguments are about whether we should spend or not. So I think there needs to be much more focus on, uh, you know, why are we spending this money? Is this actually a useful expenditure uh, way, way to spend public funds? The, the quality of the spending is as important uh, as the quantity. And now they interact, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you if you do have a budget constraint, if you do have to balance your budget, it makes you more focused on the quality. But you need to focus on both at the same time. And what about this notion, though, that, that deficits uh, can help propel the economy or the idea, even going back to, to the Harper years, that, that big deficits save the economy? And now the argument that they're responsible for the economic growth we're seeing today. Well, I mean, this is a large and old argument. Uh, I would say that a number of economists would say, particularly in an economy like Canada, which is a what's classically called a small open economy, where we, we depend a lot on trade, there's lots, there's lots of reasons to think that that initial stimulus that you might get from the government spending more money gets unwound pretty rapidly. And the long and the short of it is the government can't conjure the money out of thin air. It has to get it from somewhere. It has to either tax it or it has to borrow it or, you know, one way or another. Uh, one of the impacts of borrowing that money is, if, we're, if, we, if you're in an open economy, is you wind up eventually borrowing it from foreigners. And foreigners can only lend us the money that they earn from us on trade. So what tends to happen is you get a, 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 an enlarging of the trade deficit. You, you lose that initial domestic stimulus from, to, to, foreign tra- to leakage, basically, to foreign trade. So, and there's a lot of other complicated economic arguments that are involved in that, but Needless to say, a lot of people would be skeptical. And when you try to look for real-life examples of where this is paid off in this way that's always promised, they're few and far between. You can always go back to World War II, and yeah, if you decide you're going to subject the whole economy to, to spend whatever it takes to win a war, you can get a temporary economic lift out of that because everyone's just decided to kind of focus on that. But that's kind of a hard experiment to, to replicate. 
Uh, it didn't work particularly well for Lyndon Johnson in the 60s in the States. It didn't work for the British Labour Party in the 70s when they tried it. It didn't work for Francois Mitterrand in France in the 80s. Japan's been trying it for 20 or 30 years. It hasn't really worked for them. It didn't right. work for Bob Ray in Ontario. And when you look at the Harper experiment, yeah, they ran the big deficits, but the recovery had begun before they started the spending, before the shovels hit the ground. So you, you can color me skeptical on that whole issue. Yeah, indeed. Well, Andrew, we'll leave it there. Uh, people can find your piece at uh, nationalpost.com. And uh, thanks for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. Very good. Thank you. Andrew Cohen, uh, columnist uh, for the National Post, Post Media. Our number here, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.